Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toth. Lynn's got to tell you, you know, we live on a very busy intersection here in uh, the Lake Buena Vista area of Orlando, which is close to Disney. And there's a lot of tourist traffic. And uh, it was certainly bad on um, Black Friday because we live pretty close, pretty close to some outlets and things like that. So it was just wall to wall traffic. And there is a very dangerous intersection that we can see right from our apartment. We were out walking the dogs, and really this pretty bad accident happened. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. But uh, a woman gets out of the car, and she's got like maybe a little three-year-old kid, and the kid is pretty shook up, as one would be, regardless of one's age. And so Kat says, and this is what I love about my wife. She is so thoughtful, and she's always full of empathy for for other people. She said, that little boy's upset. Let's take the dogs over, and he can pat the dogs. How sweet. And I thought, that's really wonderful. But we got over there, and we find out he's terrified of dogs, and we just made matters worse. <laughs> Serves him right, little geezer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't like dogs? This kid's in a horrifying car crash and then terrified by a Pekingese. What a turd. Yeah, mm-hmm. two huge, vicious attack dogs. <laughs> Their combined weight is maybe 20 pounds. It's Poor yeah. bastard. Yeah. And she was from, uh, she was she was not from around here? No, she was a tourist and, and based on her accent, and I'm not great at it, but it, it sounded like from the UK, I would think. You okay. Know. Yeah, Britain. Well, a word to the to those uh, Brits contemplating a trip to Orlando. We do have dogs with us <laughs> yeah. almost everywhere. Everywhere we go. <laughs> so if you're not, if you don't cotton to the doggies, <laughs> you may wish to stay on the other side of the pond. Indeed, indeed. Also, if you are coming to this area, keep in mind not every four way intersection is a four way stop. That's exactly right. Very good point. That's yeah, the problem that's, that that uh, takes place at this intersection. So, amen. Your lovely wife, Nancy, she's a big uh, Vikings football fan. She must be very excited this season. Uh, she is season. Over, the, over the moon right now. Uh, as, we, uh, as we go to press, as they used to say, <laughs> uh, the Vikings are 9-2. and two. 
they are uh, her, her whole family are, are Viking fans, and uh, it's the time of the of the season where. You have been burned so many decades <laughs> <laughs> by getting your hopes up and then things crash and burn. Yeah. And so she is very cautiously optimistic, but she she is hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. I think that that's wise. Anybody yeah. that uh, really is into their team, you have to kind yeah. of gauge it. You have to, uh, you know, sure, get excited, but at the same time, like you say, be cautiously optimistic. Mm, this and, is basketball you're talking about? No, this is this is football. Mm. <laughs> we're still in football season. Football. But so we're watching this on Thanksgiving uh, evening. We watched the, the Vikings win. And the next day... Um, Having grown up in Tucson and being a graduate of the University of Arizona, I have felt the same kind of depression frequently at seeing the Arizona Wildcats football team suffer the same kind of uh, fate. And so to watch them, to watch the Wildcats beat the Sun Devils in the Territorial Cup was just, you know, back to back. Uh, Her team won on Thanksgiving, my team won the day after, and there was a rare feeling of joy and elation as far as football fans go in this house. Yeah, well, that's that's so, that's uh, great. That's great. And we are getting deep into football season here in the U.S. Uh, American football, of course, is what we're talking about. Uh, and we do all have our favorite teams, and sometimes a person gets so attached to that team the team that they root for, that they often get distracted and forget to use common sense. Sure. And uh, I think we've all kind of been there, you know. <laughs> I feel like we're sort of gently segueing into a really interesting story. No, I'm violently <laughs> swerving into it. Uh, <laughs> this was the case of a Colorado man. We'll call him Dave. Dave was a diehard Broncos fan. Sure. Way into Peyton Manning. Now, the game was on. He settled in to watch the Broncos. And at first, the, the, the game was going pretty well. But then the Broncos committed a, ser- a series of turnovers, and, uh, and Dave started to get angry. And as the Broncos continued to fall further behind, Dave grew bored with the game and decided that he'd go out to his garage and build a pipe bomb. Oh. So, <laughs> What? Well, what? well, he was an no expert. pipe bombs. Yeah, he, he, no, yeah, he was bored, so he thought he'd go out to his garage. No building of bombs um, and build a, a pipe bomb. So I should mention that that Dave was an expert welder. So he goes out to his garage and he snaps on the radio just to kind of keep an ear on the game while he's puttering about in his garage building his illegal incendiary device. Now, what what is he planning on? What's he planning on doing with this thing? It is not determined. Uh, He it doesn't say in the story why he wanted to build a pipe bomb. Maybe it was just he was going to build it and take it out somewhere in the country and blow it up to maybe release some of his anger that he was feeling about uh, the Broncos losing. Not my method, but uh, perhaps perhaps that's (laughs) to each his own. I suppose. (laughs) Suppose. (laughs) So once the radio was turned on and, and tuned just right, he began rummaging through his pile of scrap metal, looking for just the right piece of pipe. After a few minutes of poking around, he found an appropriate piece of pipe about the, and, 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 the, and the right-sized cap for it as well. So he lights his welding torch and welds one end of the pipe closed. Being smart enough to know that you're, you don't pack gunpowder into a pipe that's still hot from being welded, he set it aside to cool 
and turned his focus back to the Broncos game. At that very moment, the Broncos intercepted the ball and ran it in for a touchdown, (gasps) bringing Denver within striking distance of an amazing comeback. Yeah, baby. As the game goes to commercial break, Dave turns his attention back to his uh, impestuous leisure activity, if you will. Um, he checked the pipe to see if it had cooled down enough to pour gunpowder into it, and uh, he determined that, yes, indeed, it was cool enough. Just then, the commercial break ended, and they returned to live action as the Broncos kicked off. Listening passionately, Dave took the pipe and filled it to the brim with gunpowder. He was just leveling off the gunpowder at the top of the pipe, when the opposing team, who had just received the ball, fumbled it and the Broncos recovered on their own 25-yard line. Mm. This was very exciting for Dave. (laughs) (laughs) With only seconds left in the game, his beloved Broncos were on the verge of pulling off an amazing comeback and heading into the locker room with a victory. So as any good football fan will tell you, listening to a game on the radio is fine, But if there's a chance your team's going to pull off something amazing, you've got to be watching it on TV. Sure. So Dave took his freshly welded pipe that was still open on one end but full of gunpowder and carefully laid it on top of his scrap pile before quickly scampering back into his living room and snapping his TV back on. Well, good news. Dave was happy. The Broncos win. And Dave decides he's going to go down to the neighborhood bar, meet up with some friends, have a few drinks, and celebrate this uh, amazing win for the Denver Broncos. Good. After a couple of hours, Dave returns home. He's happy, a bit tipsy, and he falls asleep on his couch. (laughs) What about his pipe bomb project, you might be asking? Well, exactly. Dave totally forgot about it for many, many months, in fact. Now, it was late autumn, and hunting season was quickly approaching, and Dave, being an avid hunter, was looking forward to a hunting trip that he was about to take with some of his friends. (laughs) So Dave's out in his driveway, and he's loading his gear into the back of his truck when he noticed that one of the shafts had a crack in it. And so Dave, of course, being an expert welder, didn't think twice about whether or not he could fix this cracked pipe. Sure. Sure. Yeah. He knew he could. He had done this sort of thing hundreds of times. He was an expert welder. So Dave stops loading his vehicle, and he went to the back of his garage, and he searched through his scrap metal pile, pulled out a pipe, grabbed his welding hood, and brought his gear over to his truck. Oh, God. He then struck an arc. He said he remembered hearing a loud bang, but not much after that. (laughs) (laughs) It was... Quite an explosion. In fact, shrapnel from the pipe embedded itself in the rafters of the third floor of his house. Holy cow. One piece of shrapnel actually blew right through Dave's welding hood and missed his head by about a half an inch. Oh, my Lord. Dave only suffered a few minor burns, but otherwise was was fine. He was really lucky. Lucky bastard. His truck, however, became a large pile of twisted steel wreckage. His house also sustained serious damage. So the lesson to be learned here is that one shouldn't build a pipe bomb when one is angry and distracted. Also, don't build pipe bombs. There you go. 
I was going to say, because the first part of your statement makes it sound like, these are the times where it is acceptable and encouraged to build a pipe bomb. (laughs) These are the times when it's not. Yeah. No idea as to uh, how the Broncos season ended up, uh, but uh, Dave, I think, is a far more cautious welder because of this experience. Did their season blow up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was an explosive victory. Oh, boy, oh, boy. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toth. For years, he's been one of America's premier storytellers on NBC News. His signature voice on Dateline, reporting stories of strange events and horrific crimes, has made him a living legend. Now, for the first time ever, you can enjoy Keith Morrison's spoken word Christmas songs, told by the man himself and delivered with intriguing twists and turns as only Keith can deliver them. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Or is he? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. But what do we really know about Rudolph before he joined up with Santa? I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. But do we know what was aboard those ships? And who was really at the wheel? And why only three ships? Were there more than we thought? Your favorite seasonal songs retold in a whole new way. Just in time for the holidays. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. But oh, that was much more than just a kiss. Keith Morrison's Spoken Word Christmas Songs, available on CD and download. It's the most wonderful time of the year. At least, that's what it appeared to be at first. Keith Morrison's Spoken Word Christmas Songs. Celebrity voice impersonated? When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your friendly lifeguard with a public service announcement. Stay out of the f***ing deep end! You're in the shallow end with Schnapley and Toth. The address for our email is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And again, it has to be, those words have to be in exactly that order or otherwise it won't work. <laughs> lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Couple of, uh, couple of emails, one from a listener named Katie who says, Hi all, I am a faithful Box of Oddities listener and I'm already on episode 23 of The Shallow End. I have a couple of questions slash remarks for you guys. One, JG, are you immortal? 
My husband and I have added up the number of times you've said many years ago and in the old days. Right. We've added it up and it makes us think you're somewhere around 250 years old. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. You look great for 250. We were just curious. Yeah. I am one of the one of the um, one of the undead. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, I'm an Arizona native and I audibly cheered when Lindsay correctly pronounced Prescott, Arizona. Yeah. Number three, with being an Arizona native, you could probably do all of your episodes on the boobs of our state. Thank you guys for your continued greatness. I'm quickly going through all of your episodes. And while that makes me sad, every episode is as great as the last. I appreciate you all. Katie. Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, Katie. Always great to hear from a, a native Arizonan. Also, one of the coolest names I've ever seen in all the emails that we've gotten. This is a a listener named Cody Beretta. How's that for a name? That sounds like a like a action figure. Yeah, Yeah. or an action figure. Yeah. Cody says, hey, guys, absolutely love Shallow End. And I've been a fan of Bach since the early days. You may recall me as the listener who submitted reasons why JG is my spirit animal. Mm -hmm. After all, the listener submissions claiming cat as theirs. Um, (laughs) Yes, I do remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, know you guys probably don't want to borrow structure too heavily from Box of Oddities, but I also immediately thought of how Halloween episodes of Boo are listener submission specials. Maybe the Shallow End might have a similar episode for April Fool's Day. The foolishness in this case being stupid things listeners have done, witnessed, or been told of. That's perfect. Isn't that? That's a great idea. I, in fact, have a few I might be able to flesh out for submission, (laughs) like the time I tied a strand of firecrackers to the seat of my bike on new year's eve the really stupid part was that it was the kind that had a big drum at the end for a grand finale which was tied right next to my fanny rather than jumping off the bike when it dawned on me that i was at imminent risk of an explosion my brilliant solution was to pedal faster and try and outrun it to be fair, I was only 10 at the time, hopped up on a six-pack of Pepsi and watched a few too many Wiley e. Coyote episodes, <laughs> so it seemed like a good idea at the time. If you guessed that this didn't work out, you'd be right. Mm-hmm. Thankful, my pride was the only thing that sustained permanent damage. Hope you guys find the praise, feedback, and story well, Cody. Thank you, Cody. Amazing. Glad he wasn't hurt too bad. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. I had an explosion um, on, on the on the cruise ship but it had to do with my diet i was gonna say was it buffet related (laughs) it was i'm afraid (laughs) it was we actually got this uh this story idea from a another woman named heather in sussex county new jersey this this is really interesting i had never heard of this gentleman named and i'm pausing here guys because his last name is spelled w-e-i-g-h-t like weight M-A-N. Do you think it's Waitman or Whiteman? Hmm. I couldn't find him on YouTube. Hmm. I I couldn't tell you. I would say Waitman. Waitman was, that was what Nan said. But I frequently say things wrong. (laughs) I'm going to say Waitman. I'm going with Waitman. Trigger the email response for this pronunciation. You fucking idiot. How could you not know it was Waitman? I hate you. So this is a story of a gentleman named William Waitman, and he was actually born uh, in England in September of 1813. Now, he had an uncle, a guy named John Farr, who was a chemist, and at uh, the age of 16, 
William's uncle, Uncle John Farr, writes William and says, you should move over to the United States. I'll give you a job in my, uh, my factory, my, my chemical factory. So William Waitman says, what the hell? And comes over and, uh, and goes to work for his uncle. And they're making uh, quinine, which was used to, to fight malaria. Mm. So at some point, Uncle John's partner retires and uncle john makes william waitman a a full partner and he's only 27 years old but he's doing really well and then uncle john retires this is in 1847 and now waitman becomes an administrator and essentially running this business and they make a synthetic form of quinine which is used to treat malaria so this guy was like a 19th century pharma bro exactly (laughs) exactly and What I didn't know until researching the story is that for some reason, during the Civil War, the British, who were our major suppliers of quinine, they cut off all shipments of quinine to the U.S. during the Civil War. Hmm. Well, this guy, William Waitman, is now nicknamed the Quinine King because he's making quinine. And America, he essentially has a monopoly on quinine. So he becomes just ridiculously rich. William Waitman becomes ridiculously rich. One of the, one of the wealthiest men in Philadelphia, in fact, all of, the, of the, uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And actually, by the turn of the century, his, his estimated worth today, by today's standards, he would have been worth 52 billion oh my dollars wow so he's like like bill gates kind of level exactly exactly like warren buffett bill gates wow jeff bezos just fat stupid rich so this proves that even back then there were one percenters right (laughs) yeah yep that's the truth (laughs) so back in the 1850s as he's developing this wealth he decides, you know what, I need a, a summer cottage on the Jersey Shore because I guess when you're worth that much money, you just got to have a big summer cottage. Of course. So for whatever reason, he decides to have it placed in New Jersey near the Jersey Shore, but not too close to the Jersey Shore, which strikes me as a little odd when you're scouting a location and you've got that kind of money. I would think you would say, I'm going to put it right on the water. But he didn't. He put it blocks away. So that's 1850. And when we say summer cottage, it's it, are you guys familiar like with the, the Hotel Del Coronado in San Diego? San Diego, yeah. 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 It's, it's not. Summer cottage makes it sound like a little two or three bedroom little bungalow this thing is freaking huge and gorgeous and ornate everything was top drawer money was not an issue but again he sets this a good distance from the beach and it stays there for about 30 years but it in 1881 waitman decides you know what i need me an ocean view and I'm, I'm just going to move this freaking thing to the southern tip of the Jersey Shore. So you got to remember, this is, this is now 1881, and technology and engineering was not nearly what it is now. So he hires a bunch of farmers because it's the wintertime. They can't really do any farming during this time of year. And they end up having to cut the house in half. And now they're thinking, okay, we got to roll this thing. (laughs) I don't know how many blocks and blocks and blocks from where we are far from the Jersey Shore to the shore itself. 
So they come up with this idea, okay, we're going we're gonna to cut the damn thing in two. And they do. So now they've got this gargantuan house cut in two pieces. Their plan is they're going to roll it on logs, tree trunks, and they're going to roll it to the, to the new location. So they, th- this, is, this is absolutely backbreaking work. Wait, they're going to roll it on tree trunks? On tree trunks, on this, this cold, snow-covered land from where it was originally built. They've already cut it in half. They're going to roll it, and they're going to use horses and mules to pull these two pieces, these two buildings across all this land until they get to the shore. On, on wow. tree trunks. On this tree is like, trunks. This is like Flintstone technology. Exactly. <laughs> I, w- I thought of the pyramids. Well, uh, well yeah, same sure. idea. But yep. first of all, it's, it's bitter effing cold. There's snow on the ground because this is New Jersey in the wintertime. And this process of using these horses and mules to pull the house until it gets to the end where now you've got a log that needs to be lifted and carried to the front and put under. So you can imagine how long this takes. It takes months to do this. And it's cold and it's snowing and it's miserable and it takes them forever. But using just rolling tree trunks and mules and horses, (laughs) teams of mules and horses, they actually make it work and they get to this spot on the jersey shore and for some period of time you know there is jubilation it's like Mm -hmm. we did it this was awful work but look at this we actually got these two halves of this mansion pulled on tree trunks with mules and horses and we we did it we did it and they're jubilant this is what Brings us to what I'm calling the shallow end moment. (laughs) Because there's something that nobody considered when they first came up with this with this idea. Both halves of the house are sitting in the new location. The mules and horses are very good at pulling things, but they quickly discover that horses and mules are equally ineffective in pushing things back together oh they cannot get this house pushed back together it's it's <laughs> it's too big they try pushing it themselves they can't budget the horses and mules can only pull and you know how long these teams of horses and mules had to be so they can they can only get so close before they run into the other half of the <laughs> of the house <laughs> so picture all of these these farmers and more importantly the client the you know waitman himself who's got to be thinking how did i not think about this <laughs> so they just spend days staring at this trying to figure out how the hell can we join these two halves back together and the answer is you can't oh, it can't be done so they come up with a a pretty healthy plan b Plan B is... I'm so curious. (laughs) Let's just board up the sides of these two homes and leave them where they are. (laughs) And that's exactly what they did. Because it's springtime, summer's summer's approaching, Waitman is going to be coming back to Cape May, and they figure, well, you know, as long as you don't look at that 
boarded up part of the house. Once you get inside, the houses are still pretty attractive inside. (laughs) So the results of this are the fact that to this day, these buildings, even though they were moved again after a storm in 1962, but this time they used flatbed trucks (laughs) to move them into place, these two homes still stand separate today but right next to each other and it's actually a uh, a bed and breakfast it's called angel of the sea and it's one of the top bed and breakfasts in america i mean the oh, reviews wow. of this are just off the charts if you go to TripAdvisor or yelp people are just gushing to this day about how it's one of the best bed and breakfasts they've ever been in but you can still clearly see that it is two buildings sitting side by side, still, you know, newly boarded up, rebuilt, but never again to be brought together as as one building like it originally was. And, and I'm sure today with the technology, we could easily do that, but they've elected not to. Because of the history, and I think it's just, it's you know, it's been this way since 1881. Yeah. And the charm and, and the story is got to be worth more than if it was just one giant building. I just pulled up a photo. It is so cute. Isn't it sweet? (laughs) It's so cute. I got this from visitnj.org, angelofthesea.com, and Wikipedia. Very nice. Well, they did a good job with the way they They connected it. It certainly made some lemonade. But I thought, boy, next time I'm there, I really want to stay there. Absolutely. Because it looks gorgeous. We'll do a corporate retreat. There we go. The food is apparently just off the charts. Wonderful. I had to look it up to make sure that it was real. <laughs> because, <laughs> because the bricklayer's tail cat? Yeah, Is that what you're saying? Clearly, clearly, Linz, you sit Damn on a it. throne of lies. <laughs> oh. I love that story. That's great. Great story. And uh, I, I've actually verified from several different websites that that is indeed true. So. Okay, good. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. That's the only email address we've ever had, and by God, I think it's the only one we're ever going to have. But we'd love to hear your... We try to keep things simple. Yeah, yeah. No no changing things around. We'd love to hear from you guys. We've gotten quite a few emails just in the past week. People with story ideas, people telling us how much they um, they have loved making us part of their, of their commute. And I think it's really cool that between Shallow End and Box, there are people who, um, who really feel like they are friends, which is, is just... It's just way cool. Yeah, it's like it we've is. got we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of friends who really look forward to these stories every week. And we look forward to telling them to you too. So don't we though? Thank you. Thank you for that. We'll we will see you guys next time. Please remember it's important. Make good choices. Your life might depend on it. <laughs> so ominous. That was very ominous. <laughs> so concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine, and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go.